Welcome to Box to Box Football. Welcome, Box to Box Football, and we have got a two-man show tonight, Kyle alongside JJ, for the uh, first part of our, our international break. Um, you know, not a, a whole lot of games going on. We did have the uh, uh, European Championship qualifying, which we're going to get into uh, uh, a little bit today. I think the um, – and also the South, South American qualifiers, and then uh, a U.S.-Germany friendly coming up on the weekend that we're going we're gonna to touch on as well. But I think the, the big game today is we, we get right into it. Uh, Spain, a 2-0 victory over Scotland uh, and, Euro, and Euro Championship qualifying. It was 0-0 for a while. Alvaro Morata in the uh, 73rd minute. Uh, Oihan Sanset in the 86th for Spain. 2-0, which really tightens that, that group up now. Spain has a, uh, has a game in hand, but Scotland still with a three-point lead. Spain also has a plus 15 goal differential to Scotland's plus nine. Uh, so it's all shaping up to perhaps come down to the final day in that group. Remember, the top two qualify automatically, and then there's some playoff spots. It's a little bit of a convoluted formula to get to the uh, to, to figure out who's in, in in what playoff. And we'll go down after the the Thursday results and let you know you know who they're all, who that is after we we kind of run through some of these games, but. Uh, Scotland had been uh, unbeaten through its first five games, 5-0, and oh, uh, but loses to Spain today. The game was in Spain. I don't think that's a huge shock that, that Spain would, would win at home against Scotland, uh, but now that group gets a, it's a little bit tighter. Norway's on 10 points. There's a big, uh, big Norway game coming up and next week um, to, to finish this international window, and then you're going to have Scotland-Norway um, to finish that group. So, so JJ, just your thoughts on, on that game and, and where that group stands. Well, if you guys are just as confused as I am right now and how all this is going, then you're right along with us. Um, yeah, this Spain-Scotland match is intriguing for a number of reasons. First off, there was a big, big moment in this match. In fact, it was almost a match-changing moment. We go to the half hour, or excuse me, the hour mark where Scott McTominay, what else is new? He always pops up in a Scotland jersey. He scores on a free kick from about as acute of an angle that you can have. He basically was on the end line, put it far post, snuck it past Unai Simon. Whole team goes insane. They think, all right, pretty much job is done now. We could even give up a goal, and it's fine because I believe there's some sort of tiebreaker to say that all they had to do is get a point on the night they're through. VAR rules the goal off because – it was said offside, but funny enough, I was actually listening to Scottish radio because some matches are available here in the U.S. legally and illegally, and this was neither, so I had to watch this one. Yeah. All right, listen to this on uh, Scottish radio, and they said that they think it was obstruction on the goalie. Scotland never recovered from that point, and then the two goals, Navas, after coming out a few minutes prior, just cut through this uh, Scottish back line found Murata then when basically everybody was going forward uh Spain got their second and all be all as you said not the biggest concern in the world for Scotland right now obviously you would have wanted to get the job done on the night not have to worry about it, especially because they don't play another competitive match in this international window they play a friendly now if Spain beat Norway on Sunday doesn't really matter they're through first or second in the group means exactly the same thing so 
Not the biggest concern in the world for Scotland. Spain, I think, honestly needed this result a lot more than Scotland, and they got it. Now they play this match on the road against Norway in the Ullaval, which is not exactly the easiest place to go get a result in Oslo. So that that actually isn't one of my three to watch on Sunday, but that's obviously a, a notable honorable mention in that. But yeah, Spain on the day, they needed the result, got it, Scotland. Big concern, though, Andy Robertson might be out for an extended period of time with a separated shoulder. Obviously, Stewart, who voiced his opinion on social media, not happy about the uh, the injury to the outstanding Liverpool midfielder and winger at times. So, yeah, th- there's a lot to take from that match, as convoluted as the entire system of the tiebreaker could be. Uh, one thing I will say is that I, I, as I think as a neutral, would love for Scotland to qualify. Just because oh, 100%. I, I, I think it's it's better like when when the Scottish fans show up, right? And you know they're going to show up, and you know they're going to bring it. Scotland, uh, I think, uh, probably applies to Ireland as as well. Um, when their teams are in these uh, competitions, whether it be Euros or World Cup, and now with the with the forty eight team forty eight team forty eight team World Cup, I'll get it out. Um, I think that that is something too. If you look at Scotland's campaign in the way this is gone and, and obviously you know we'll find out later on they'll, they'll draw the the pots for the the world cup qualifying in in europe i think scotland should feel good about itself when that does come out that it can be one of those teams uh to get to the, the 2026 world cup and and i just and just kind of going back to the original point i think it's it's when you have that team involved and because of the the atmosphere that that their fans create and they always bring it i think it just makes it much more fun Well, and also, um, Sean brought up a really good point that I also made back in the last international window that you have a lot of these teams that um, they're competing in the Nations League, but in that B phase and the C phase, these are the teams that are benefiting from that competition more because they're playing competitive matches each time that there's an international window. They can really own in on their group and not just wait around for a European qualification or a World Cup qualification. And some of the advantages as well as you get results, your coefficient moves up. Now all of a sudden you're looking at teams like Scotland, like Greece, and a fair few others, some of which I will talk about uh, over the course of the remainder of this podcast, that are not going to be in that third or fourth pot. Now all of a sudden they find themselves potentially knocking on the door of that second spot which for those that are curious, what that means is if you have a World Cup group or a European qualification group of five or six teams, you're not the three seed team in your group. You're the two seed, which means all of a sudden you might only just have to worry about a Spain or you might only just have to worry about an England and not both in your group. So it makes your life a little easier. That's why for these quote unquote, smaller European nations. And I say that with the greatest of respect, I'm just speaking in terms of the year, the uh, coefficient, the FIFA ranking. That's why these nations league matches are important. That's why these teams like the Luxembourg's of the world are still very much alive for qualification for euros in late October. By the way, Scotland's last world cup appearance, France, 1998, it's missed the last six. So uh, it's, it's been a while. Let's jump to, uh group uh what group is that let's jump to i've got group it here d. group, group d, d is the next big group one d, that's the one we're looking for turkey won croatia nil yilmaz in the in the 30th minute uh pretty the statistics bear out croatia 63 percent of the possession uh 
17 shots for Croatia, 14 for Turkey. So even in terms of that, six shots on target each. Um, but Turkey has now won three of the last four. Uh, same with Croatia, but Turkey with a draw mixed in there. So uh, that's 10 points for Turkey. Croatia with nine points from the last four. And as the group stands, Croatia game in hand, but Turkey 13 points, Croatia 10. Then you have Armenia on seven, Wales on seven, and then Latvia bringing up the bottom of that group for three. JJ? So this was a match I was able to watch from start to finish. By the way, Ishmael Yuksek, I believe that's the correct way to pronounce his name, unbelievable in the midfield today. The Fenerbahce midfielder, I don't think he missed a challenge in the 90 minutes. And remember, this is the midfield that he goes up against Kovacic, Modric, and Brozovic. <laughs> if you win that day against that three, you've done something you right. It. And they say that in football, a 1-0 away from home is the best result possible. Well, Turkey got it. You spoke about how Scotland have only, you know, the last time that they qualified for a World Cup was in 1998. Turkey, the last time they qualified was in 2002. They've been to the last couple of Euros, but haven't got out of the group stage. They were a team that in the late 80s through the mid-2000s were supposed to be this quote-unquote, next team to break through. They just didn't really find that form since, and then kind of one to two generations have gone by. Now it seems that the Turkish league football back on the rise a little bit. Development has been there. Some success, minor successes, but success at the youth levels. You're seeing Turkey come back to it. And on the flip side, a very aging Croatia team. Let, let's make no mistake about it. They're very good, but they're quite old as a group. If they cannot get through this Group D with Armenia knocking on the door and Wales, who, by the way, absolutely smashed. I know it's Gibraltar. Yes, people will say it, but uh, they play that match at the race course when the first match is at Wrexham's ground in many years, which still – That was a friendly, are, right? That was a friendly, yes, but still, this is a team in Wales that lost a little bit of confidence after the World Cup. They had some tough results, including in June where they had a run of uh, – conceding six scoring twice against Armenia and Turkey two losses. This is a team that needed a bit of confidence and belief back into it. Now they're coming into this at home against Croatia on Sunday, a result for them. They're right back in it and have Armenia away Turkey home to finish. So there's still, again, it's another group where it's so wide open right now. And that's why we've hardly had any teams qualify for the Euros, Scotland was supposed to be the first. Usually at this stage, match day, depending on it, six or eight, depending on the group, you probably would have had a group, a, a few teams qualify now. Yeah, Tur and Turkey has Latvia at home on October 15th. So they should pick up that 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 three points there. You, you mentioned Croatia and how aging they are. That's something that I think is, is, is interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, like we thought maybe Modric was Modric, Modric was going to retire Luka Modric after the the last World Cup and he's still yeah, showing from international up he's play, still playing yeah. look, from international play look, look he's such a class player uh, but as they they age and you wonder you know this is the golden generation of Croatian football right two straight World Cup semifinals for a country of that size that's incredible what they've done semifinals finals one year in final um semifinals uh in, in the last one but I just wonder what they have coming up behind them and whether they can uh, repeat what this golden generation does once it ages out. Like, like if you look beyond the, the upcoming Euros, 
what does this Croatia team look like as it goes into World Cup qualifying after that, as it, as it gets near the, the 2026 World Cup? Uh, that's something to, to definitely keep an eye on. No, most definitely. Again, that's where countries that have, and I'm going to speak very simple mathematics, larger population, they have better chances to reload. Not saying that the Croatian national team and those within the offices and the scouting networks have realized this. Of course they have. They're going to do their utmost best to try and figure out what can they get, what can they squeeze out of this next generation. But for some of those countries, they're population sub 10 million people it's not always guaranteed that you're going to have that next golden generation that's going to come through a la a brazil or a la argentina or england or you know so on and so forth or germany you know country yeah and i know people are going to say well germany has not been quite good but still it's the fact that bigger countries again this is i know it's a generic take but bigger countries have a better likelihood of getting that next generation to come through croatia I'm not looking into the future. I'm just saying that there's a reasonable possibility that there might be now two full windows away from that next big generation coming through. You're talking about 2026. They might be looking ahead at 2034 or the Euros in 2032. Yeah, sometimes when you get these golden generations too, you don't necessarily get younger players coming into the squad, right? If these guys come in and they start to gel and they're – Right, and they're just in getting into their primes now, and they take you through two cycles. So if you don't have that that youthfulness and those younger guys getting into the squad, that's where you can maybe sometimes get a lull in a in a cycle. So it's definitely something to watch. Um, the next group I I want to jump to is Group B, where we had a where we've got a maybe a shock leader, JJ, in Albania after a three nil win over the Czech Republic today. Albania won that game at home. Uh, six matches played, Albania on thirteen points plus eight goal differential. Uh, Poland is second in that group on nine points, also six matches played. The Czech Republic uh, does have a game in hand, but eight points. Moldova, eight points. Uh, and then the Faroe Islands with one in that in that group B. But Albania, which has only qualified for a major tournament once, uh, and that was uh, a, a Euro, looks like it's online to get back and do it again, JJ. Well, clearly the rest of the international, you know, everyone out there knew something that we didn't because you actually you go back a little bit turn the page to the end of 2022 this was an opportunity the u.s actually had this case ahead of the 2018 world cup where they didn't qualify where they become kind of like that team that everybody wants to play in the build up to the world cup albania were actually the team that everybody wanted to play in the world cup because they had friendlies against saudi arabia and Qatar right before the competition also throw in Italy as well. I know they didn't make it as well, but yeah, clearly people are seeing something in Albania that we haven't, and they're unbeaten in their last five European matches, uh, two nil to Moldova. 2016 was their last, was their only major tournament competition when they qualified. Right. Albania. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So they they've kept on going and, I mean, you look at it right now for Albania, unbeaten in their last five, 2-0 over Moldova, 3-1 on the road to Faroe Islands, drew away at Czech, beat Poland, and then, of course, winning today 3-0. I I can't say that I know much about the Albanian men's national program right now, but the fact that they're going, you know, they're at home against a very solid Czech team. We know a handful of their players, especially with the West Ham contingent of uh, Suchek and Sofal that are there. Um, 
job done. And yeah, all of a sudden now, this group, Group E, as you say, Albania on 13 points, four ahead of Poland, same amount of matches. Czech, uh, Czechia, excuse me, eight points from five. They've got a match in hand. And Moldova, eight points with a match in hand. So Albania right now are in the driver's seat. By no means is it done. But the good news is for Albania, they don't play Czechia or Poland in any of their three remaining or two remaining Euro matches. One thing though is like when you've never been in this position before, like Albania looks up and we got like right, we're on top, we're on top of the the table here. Like, can they finish it? Can they get it to the to the finish line? Right? Like, sure, they're they're the favorite now on on 13 points, but right, they've got uh, a game against the Faroe Islands, they got a game against Moldova. Those are left, those are the the two bottom teams in the group. Now Moldova's on eight points, so it's like, you know, hang, hanging in there. But can you finish it, right? Yeah. Don't drop points against the Faroe Islands and let somebody else back into the, you know, back into the race. Uh, so so that's something I, I think you, you've got to watch. Um, that game is at home against the Faroe Islands on the final match day. So Albania should handle the business. Uh, they do have a trip to Moldova before that. So that's the one that's going to be, I think the, the the tricky game can they go to Moldova and get something out of that game to maintain um, to maintain the lead coming home for that that group finale, um, you know. And also one thing, one last thing on Albania, just kind of looking at the roster, it's a it's a group of players. Like if you look at the clubs they play for, not I mean it, it's not like like right top clubs, but there are a lot of guys in Syria, uh, there are a lot of guys in in La Liga. So these are accomplished pros who are on on the roster. Um, so we've looked at kind of the, uh, the, the games from Thursday. Hey, let's look ahead. What game do you have um, your finger on for, for either Friday or Saturday or even Sunday? Yeah. So looking ahead right now, there's a couple of matches that I'm going to be really keeping an eye on. So this is Friday out of group J, which is an absolute log jam right now, because in theory, I love a log jam. Five of the six teams are very much alive for a spot because uh, this is the sixth one of the two handful of six team groups. So they play the full 10 matches. So there's still a little bit of wiggle room right now. You've got Luxembourg against Iceland. People would say, why would you be focusing on this? Well, I'll tell you this much. Iceland, we're talking about the end of a generation. This is very much the end of this generation where they've qualified for a World Cup and a couple of Euros. Luxembourg are the team that's been knocking on the doorstep. And they've been the one that's been putting in the miles getting through those lowly groups in the Nations League, but now they're starting to come through right now. They picked up some decent results in this tournament so far, getting a scoreless draw against Slovakia back in March. You got the 2-0 against Liechtenstein, the 2-0 away to Bosnia, 3-1 at home to Iceland. Yes, the 9-0 against Portugal is looming there, but guess what? They don't have to play Portugal anymore. They can get, they can jumpstart themselves in this window. Luxembourg against Iceland away in Reykjavik, then home against Slovakia. The two teams that they have to jump right now, in essence, Slovakia and Bosnia are hanging right around with them. So all of a sudden, the window's opening up big time for them. Um, the one that I have for Saturday, because Again, there's just there's so much happening, and actually, there's a bit more stuff going on. I know you at you're going to be focusing on the yeah. domestic match, yeah. but Group G on Saturday, 
Bulgaria against Lithuania, Hungary against Serbia, all those teams very much right around it right now. Serbia and Hungary currently locking down the one and the two spot on 10 points. Hungary has the match in hand, though. And Montenegro, who are just going to be sitting around praying and hoping that those two teams draw, because otherwise Montenegro are going to be looking at playing Serbia, playing Hungary, both on the road. Uh, Netherlands, France. We also got Netherlands, France coming up for a, a top of the group clash. Um, you know, anytime you get two two big heavyweights together, I think that draws a lot of eyeball, eyeballs. Uh, and also an interesting uh, game as well in Group F coming up on Friday. Uh, Austria against Belgium. Uh, mm. Both of them on 13 points. Now, they both look like they're in good shape to qualify as the top two uh, because Sweden is struggling a little bit. Um, actually, Sweden unbeaten, but too many draws. So struggling a little bit, six points or seven points back of both of them. Um, so that's Belgium, Austria. Remember, Austria was one of those teams that was disappointing during the last uh, World Cup qualifying cycle. They didn't get to the to the World Cup. Uh, and having a nice little bounce back here um, and have a big game coming up on Belgium against Belgium. So that's uh, that's certainly one I, I've got my eye on. Just to run down, we talked about the this sort of like how the playoffs work. So the top two qualify, and you can get to the playoffs via – where you finished in the nation's league. Um, so it's a little convoluted. Uh, and, and if teams that would have secured a playoff place based on where they finished in the nation's league qualify like via the group stage of qualifying. So, so the, where they don't need to use the playoff place, then it gets recycled down to, to teams based on ranking, whether you won um, your nation's league, whether you win B, C or D. So basically let me just give you the, the teams right now that are in the, the playoff positioning as it stands so like czech republic wales like we talked about wales kind of being off the pace in that group well wales is in position now where it could possibly get a where it's going to get a, a playoff spot because of the way it it kind of breaks down so czech republic wales those are the teams out of league a out of league b israel obviously there's some stuff going on there right now where they had the match against switzerland postponed um probably more important stuff than soccer um bosnia and herzegovina Finland, Ukraine, Iceland, um, all out of League B, out of League C, Georgia, Greece, Kazakhstan, and Luxembourg are in playoff spots right now, and then Estonia out of Group D. So obviously those will switch and shift and change depending on how the results are um, through this next international break. Yeah, pretty much if you won your Nations League group and why there's so many teams that Kyle listed is because at each level so the a group the b group and the c group you have four groups within each so yes in theory there are 12 plus one out of the d group so 13 teams that number will get whittled down as you said but that's again it, they call it the back doorway right the back <laughs> the door. way that, i love that i love yeah, that the, in the, the back way door. that um the way that all of a sudden it's like oh we have this opportunity okay well if it didn't go right for us there now it can go right for us but that's very much a one and done type of competition though similar to what we saw in both the men's and the women's world cup playoffs where it became one game and you're in or out that's yeah, it and and you have a uh a 24 team euro too yeah so 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 you that you get that those extra places and then once it gets into the euros the i think it's the top four third place teams also advance out to the round of 16 so it's kind of like a mini preview of what we'll see in the 2026 world cup where there's going to be third place teams advancing out of the group. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, uh, but just the way the numbers are, that's the way it, it works. It works out. Um, 
I did want to jump here stateside, JJ, before we before we wrap it up, because there is um, a friendly coming up on Saturday between the United States and Germany. Germany, of course, as the host of Euros, doesn't have any uh, qualifiers to play. And the United States, because it's hosting the 2026 World Cup, doesn't have to go into any kind of doesn't have any kind of CONCACAF qualifying. It will have some nations leagues coming up because you're going to have that combined Copa America next summer, which is going to be in the States, which is going to be a lot of fun, which is going to be a great test. But they do the U.S. will have to qualify for that through a home and home playoff with another CONCACAF country. Uh, but in, in lieu of having those competitive games, I think this is a, a, a friendly uh, that I think both teams, it's a German team that's been struggling. Julian Nagelsmann has, takes over. Your, your, um, uh, Hansi Flick was, was sacked. Nagelsmann takes over. So it's a German team that has not been in great form. It's making the trip across the Atlantic. I know there was some hemming and hawing in the German camp about why are we going to the States to play a friendly in the middle of our season. Guess what, guys? Guess what? The U.S. players do this all the time. Like, right, they, they fly from Europe to the U.S. to Central America to play qualifiers and back. Um, so so I'm not – I have no sympathy for the German players who have to travel across the Atlantic to play in this friendly. It is a strong German side uh, that they're bringing. So it, it's definitely a better test than when the U.S. faced Oman and Uzbekistan. Uh, I think the U.S. – did not really prepare for Oman and Uzbekistan. I think they just rolled the ball out and was like, all right, go play, guys. Greg, Greg's back. Go play some Burhalter ball. Uh, let's get two wins under our belt. I think they'll be more locked in. They'll be more focused on this game. Uh, they've beaten Germany, the, I think, the last two times the U.S. and Germany have played. The U.S. have won those games. Uh, so certainly a good test. And then you'll have um, uh, Ghana for the U.S. coming up after that, a kind of an arch nemesis uh, that because they've met you know, three times in the world cup now and play some real classic games. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you talk about the U S men's national team though, because that's not the only big thing that's going on with U S men's soccer right now. Yeah. They've kind of kept this. And I'm my personal opinion on taking any sort of, um, alineation hat that I have off right now, the U S men's under 23 team is currently in a pair of friendlies. This is the team, remember, that's going to be representing us yep. at the Olympics next year. Yep. Finally, me, they're back. Finally, they're back. They qualified back, yeah. by the under the uh, via the CONCACAF under-20 uh, championship Three. tournament. Yeah, and, um, and remember that, that, sorry, real quick, just remember the men's tournament in the Olympics is an under-23 yep. with a, you're allowed like three overage exceptions. And the women's tournament is a full international at the Olympics. Correct. Just a quick, at, just a quick reminder for people who maybe don't don't only you know don't really follow the how the Olympic qualifying works. I should also mention, as of right now, yeah. there are some talk about making the women's tournament an under twenty three tournament as well. That's that's for another podcast. But right. I would the but, you, go ahead. Yeah. yeah the um, the U.S. men's under twenty three team currently playing. They played a friendly against Mexico last night, which shockingly did not qualify uh, multiple time silver medalist in the Olympics. And then they're going to be playing Japan on the 17th. That's going to be streamed, I believe. The thing that I'm going to be fascinated about this group is because there's some key names from the U.S. men's senior team that were not called in, but were called in for the under 23s. We've got this. We as in the U.S. have this very interesting situation where we've got a lot of players around that 23 age mark that can compete in this tournament me personally 
You talk about the importance of the Copa America. That's fine and great. There is no bigger major international stage sporting-wise in the world than the Olympics. My personal preference is that the U.S. takes the Olympics as the priority, have every possible under 23 or basically any player that can qualify age-wise to play this competition, play this competition because it can facilitate a number of things. You have the grandeur of the event. World Cup, same concept. You're going to have the entire eyes of the world looking on you. Olympics, same capacity. Based in France for this tournament. So you're going to have a lot of overseas internationals that don't, they're not going to have to really go through that hard conversation between U.S. program and club teams to say, oh, well, now we got to put them on a plane and go to Japan. They're going to continental Europe. There's an allure about Paris, too. Exactly. And a number of other really good stadiums that they're going to be competing in as well. So just picking a few names that were on this list and maybe, Kyle, if you, you know, oblige me a little bit here, some of your favorites that you'd love to see maybe go to the Olympics as opposed to the Copa America, because for me, I think it's really going to be a choice of who the U.S. goes. Um, This under-23 team includes the likes of Paxton Aronson, who's playing for Eintracht Frankfurt, Brian Reynolds, who has plenty of U.S. men's senior team experience, as well as John Tolkien, um, Jack McGlynn, who's been the up-and-comer for uh, Philadelphia Union. You've got the likes of Tanner Tessman, who's been playing his trade in Italy for the last couple of years. You've got um, Indiana Vasilev, who's actually one of – everyone talked about DeAndre Yedlin as the only American playing in the Premier League. Well, Indiana was actually playing in the Premier League for a handful of seasons as well. Um, Taylor Booth, who's playing in the Netherlands, so on and so forth. This is a good core. I want to see the next time this group comes together, more players involved, more under 23s. And – yeah, I mean, I think that the U.S. should be prioritizing. I know we're kind of, you know, bombing this, well, taking over this podcast and make it a U.S. thing, but I'd love to see the U.S. prioritize the Olympics and try and well, go and win it. Because I felt if they I, qualified for Japan, they could win. I feel like they can win this right now. I totally agree. And the interesting thing will be, like, I've heard Christian Pulisic say he wants to play in the Olympics. Weston McKenney has said, I want to play in the Olympics. Now that's gotta have that's gonna have to work within the context of the schedule when you think about their club teams with Copa America, because they would have to be overage players on this team. But yeah. when you you know, which you could certainly call in the three of them, uh three overage players. But when you look at the the players called in for this Germany camp, this Germany Ghana two games, who would be age eligible as under 23s, Sergio Dest, still only 22. Uh, Christopher Lund, who they just uh, brought in, he was a dual nat. He he switched from Denmark to the USA. He plays for Palermo in Serie B. He's 21 years old. Uh, Yunus uh, Musa is 20 years old. Yunus Musa has 29 caps at 20 yep. years old. This guy is a fast riser. Um, he's already getting rave reviews at AC Milan. He is one of the best I have seen, uh, certainly in the U.S. in the U.S. pool that the U.S. has ever had at taking the ball and carrying it up the field past players and like what a luxury that have you to have when you have a player who, who can break pressure by beating somebody off the dribble uh G- excuse me giovanni reina 20 years old johnny cardoso 22 years old he plays for international in, in brazil 
which is one of the big clubs in, in, in that country. And a lot of people think he could be close to a move to Europe as well. Uh, you, you know, you just look down this list. Brendan Aronson is still only 22. Uh, Timothy Weah is 23. So he may be, he may be a little too old. He may have to be one of the, the uh, overage guys. Uh, Ricardo Pepe is only 20. Uh, Fularen Balagun is 22. Kevin Paredes is 20. So all those guys were called into the senior side. There is so much talent there. Yeah, that and that's where I think this tournament should be a priority for the U.S. is to win the Olympics. Because you know what builds momentum? Winning a major international competition. Copa America, fantastic. If you go win that, great. You're not going to be talking about that years from now because guess what the u.s might not even be invited back to the next tournament we can qualify for every olympics well i've had a hard time doing that but they they, they did finally get back there I just, i'll just look with the copa america in the u.s i think i think they will prioritize copa america like maybe maybe we think they should look at the olympics but if i'm if i'm sitting in that federation um bubble which has now moved from chicago to atlanta and i'm going out and i'm with greg berhalter um and i'm with um uh matt matt crocker the new the new uh technical director and i'm going what do i want these teams to look like Uh, they're probably leaning towards making sure the aaa team is it there for copa america and some of that is because of the age um but again that's going to have to work with schedules but boy like man what i think it'd be cool if you saw pulisic and McKenney and Wea on the field in Paris for the U.S. Olympic team. And and Musa and literally all the other and guys Musa, that you mentioned. Yes. Lo- you can literally almost march out the U.S.'s best 11 and plug in a few holes with the current senior men's national team. Again, this is food for thought. We could be right. sitting here 12 months from now saying, boy, what if that was a great opportunity, which seems to be the trend these days with the U.S. men's national team. But um, – yeah, it's fun to thought think think about. So, in addition to the U.S. Yeah. seniors match, the the match against Japan on the seventeenth for the under twenty threes. That's something that for those that are fascinated, check it out. But it, and it is such a my last point on this is this U.S. group that they're assembling. It is really a it's a young, diverse, likable group of guys. Um, you know that I think people will really get behind once they kind of learn learn the stories. Uh, and, and really get to know the players and, and you know and this will happen as they you know if they play in the Olympics they play Copa America when they get to the to the World Cup I, I think this is the best group of players the U.S. has ever had um, and expectations should be high for this team and they should ha- hold themselves to a to a high standard there are uh, I'll just quickly also say there are some South American qualifiers those are going on right now as we're we're taping this so we'll probably hit on them when we come back um, and wrap up the the international break next week. Um, but that's that's what we got for for now. We thank you for joining us, taking a few minutes out. You know how it is. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. We're box to box football. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time.